It's Thursday, July 12th, 2018, and you're listening to episode 490 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and four minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. And my name's Chad. All right, so I'm going to lead off with a story about the door that we mentioned in the last episode. (laughs) And for you folks at home, we actually recorded these Mm back-to-back, so that's why we're just kind of rolling from one to the next. So if there's like all kinds of relevant stuff that was said on Facebook or Discord (laughs) or the forums about the con between this episode and the previous one, that's why we are going to act utterly oblivious to it, because we are recording these right on the tail end of each other because Chad wants to do the Western story while the game is so fresh on his mind. But for our warm up little bit here, actually we just did a whole episode for warm up, but I'm still going to push ahead with the story. I love how he's making excuses for us acting oblivious, but in reality we would just be oblivious to it anyway. I know these things, it is going to be like two weeks till this drops. And I don't even remember what we talk about when the episode drops. Like (laughs) how dare you have that opinion that you had? What? <laughs> okay. It's really good when people come at me with one from 11 years ago. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. 12 years ago. I'd be like, so Dan, in episode four, uh, did we do an episode four? <laughs> <laughs> Who's Dan? <laughs> I think the only thing I remember about episode 404 is I think I named it episode not found. <laughs> yeah. Because you're super clever. I'm super freaking clever. So the door. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> game masters, be careful what you put in your games because your players will find it fascinating wrongly so so there was this this guy in the game who was pulling some shenanigans all right when i say guy i mean an npc not a player at the table nbc was pulling some shenanigans and being forgotten realms all high fantasy this guy had gone to some extreme lengths to keep up appearances specifically rather than just buy a house in the city and try to blend in to save some money he had undercut the purchase of a house and simply had basically four walls and a door put up. And it was like a stage prop. This wasn't an actual house. There's no home there. All right. You just, the walls were real, but there, the house itself, like you open the door, there's nothing in there. It didn't even have a completed roof. That's weird. Okay. But what he had done is he had put a spell on the door such that when you put the key into the lock, it activated a magical mechanism that turned on an illusion. So it appeared you were walking into a fully appointed house. Now, if you just opened the door, kicked it down, you never activated that illusion. So you just saw it for the theater prop that it was. Or if you looked in the windows? Uh, I guess the windows were drawn. We didn't get to that. But if you turned the key, it would activate the illusion. You would see a fully appointed house. So, of course, we took this door off its hinges (laughs) and took it with us everywhere we went. (laughs) Because everywhere we went, you could just turn that lock, and all of a sudden, boom, there's the innards of a house right in the middle of the street, confusing the crap out of everyone who walks by, or who suddenly thinks there's a living room couch in the middle of the road. And it was awesome. And the way that I epilogued the game... Why didn't you just take the lock? It'd be easier to carry. Because... It's a whole lot more fun to be carrying an entire door around. I mean, it's I like ran a projection campaign service. where a guy used a door as a shield. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. We could have hidden behind it. There's all kinds mm-hmm. of options, right? And so, the epilogue in my mind, because we were relic hunters of sorts, mm-hmm. sorry, we were collecting artifacts. 
And there was a really powerful artifact that was the main MacGuffin of the game. But in my mind, the way this game ended is that thing, that MacGuffin, is completely discarded, forgotten in a Mm. trash can in some corner. And the Indiana Jones top men (laughs) are all huddled around this door, studying it and writing treatises on it and writing books on it for generations to come. Centuries later, that door is still a topic of discussion and sits inside of a glass case atop Candlekeep. That is, in my mind, how that game ended. Game Masters, you put something funky in a game, just accept. Players don't always read the world the way you do. Not, not that he didn't. I mean, he didn't stop mm-hmm. us from doing any of this. But <laughs> he was a little, excuse the pun, but flat-footed mm-hmm. by just how enamored we were with his ensorcelled entryway. Fascinating. <laughs> all right, Chad. So tell us your boring Western story. That's not at all a door. I was gonna say that that's kind of an odd thing to put this door story in front of this because my Western story is not funny, but it is about people trying to pass through a door in a way and an illusion. No. <laughs> um, but let us pause here to say if you ever want to play in Chad's Western game, what was the name of it? It's called a, a small town called Cattle Skull. Okay, a small town called Cattle Skull. If you ever want to sign up for this game at a future con or ask him to run it for you at some non-fear the con Mm -hmm. event or whatever, turn this episode off and skip to episode 491. So one thing I didn't think to ask about before and before Mm -hmm. you get into what happened in the game, what was the system you used for this? Did you make up a system for it or use something existing? I ran a very silly game. I ran lasers and feelings in, in the slot before and I wanted to run a second game. I didn't want to run a silly game. I wanted to run something very serious. But I really like Lasers and Feelings. It's super simple. It is a very short... It uses one number. It uses one number, and you're either good at something or bad at something, or you're kind of good or kind of bad at something. The only reason it's not monostat is because that one number represents two things. Yeah, right. The higher it is... Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know Lasers and Feelings, the way it works is you have two stats, Lasers and Feelings. And lasers represents anything that requires hard science, technology, mechanics, something that is a, what we'll call it, a hard science. Right. And feelings is anything that is a softer science. It's abstract thinking, social operation, seduction, seduction, courage, things like that. And what happens is you pick a single number between two and six. Five. Is it two and five? Okay. So you pick a number, I'm sorry, between two and five. And the higher it is, the better you are at mechanical things, but the worse you are at abstract things. So you're better at lasers, worse at feelings. Because you have to roll under Under lasers lasers and above above feelings. feelings. The lower it is, the better you are at feelings and the worse you're at lasers. But swap in any nouns you want. Lasers and feelings could just as easily Mm -hmm. be... Salooning and six shooters. Right. Well, and I didn't Could realize be Moxie it. and Courage. There were a couple of printed out, like, one-page RPGs that were there. Mm-hmm. I think they may have been left over for Miniature Market for uh, Free RPG Day. One of them I picked up, because I, I love grabbing the one sheet sure. and seeing what people do for mechanics. I didn't even realize until we were talking about this, it's basically the same mechanic. There was one It was, uh, oh, like, Weird Owls Truck Stop Diner yep. or something. And it's the same concept, only body. Yeah, it's and a laser mind. feelings tax. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so there are a ton of lasers and feelings hacks where people just basically change the two words. Instead of lasers and feelings, you have like 
moxie and courage or something like that. And you're now you're doing 1930s gangsters or whatever. And I had an idea of I wanted to run a Western. And so I go through, I typed into Google list of lasers and feelings hacks. And then I get multiple lists of many, many, many of the hacks. And let me tell you, they have everything from, they have biblical ones. Biblical role-playing games that are lasers and feelings hacks. They have 1930s gangsters. They have knights and they have zombies. They have sci-fi. They have fantasy. They have, there's one with witches. There's, and of course, all of the different, you know, Firefly and and uh, My Little Pony and blah, 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 all the different ones that you can think of off of that. So is a lasers and feelings hack. Is the is a lasers and feelings hack. Okay. In fact, the one I ran is specifically called uh, Grit and Sly, which I'm not too happy with them. actually like six shooters and salooning is a better <laughs> right. I like my, or, well or six shooters and shooting shootings and shooting whiskey, yeah, yeah. whiskey not well, shooting and, people and you could do a lot of cool stuff like that for like a comedy western game and so if i had ran a comedy western game yeah i could absolutely do stuff like that you know cow pokes and you know cow punch or whatever but poke and punch <laughs> but i was already doing a comedy game and i was already in a couple of sure, comedy games yeah. and i'm like all right i want to do a serious game here and i really want to do a western and i really like weird westerns so i took this hack which is really the only thing that was in the hack like it even ignored some of the other stuff because you should go if you're not familiar with lasers and feelings you should go download it and take a look at it. it's really cool it's one page it has more than just the two stats it has about like how you make a character because you have to choose a cool name and what you do and then you have to build the ship and the ship has two good things and one bad thing about it. Yeah, I was like familiar that. with it, but until right now, I didn't know they had hacks of it. Oh my it God, makes sense. I mean, it's yeah. a system you can easily hack to do whatever you it's want. It's so simple. I don't even know that I can call them hacks. Right. <laughs> they're they're just renames. The concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's like saying I figured out how to use the screwdriver on a second screw right <laughs> yeah it's that level of simplicity i don't know what i can call these hacks all right yeah so i took this game grit and sly and that's all there is to the game is just the he literally just changed the name to grit and sly those are the only two things and there's nothing in there about gangs there's nothing in there about plot there's nothing in there about even choosing a cool western name i mean there's like nothing to it right but I couldn't think of any other better uh, words, whether it's adjectives or... Could or, be adjectives, could be verbs. Yeah, nouns. Yeah, nouns or, adjectives, I, adverbs. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of two alternate words that would fit for a good Western. So I went with that. And I sat down and I started thinking, all right, this is going to be a pretty improv game here. and it. But I want it to be serious. In fact, I want it to be dark. So how can I make this serious and dark? And still have it be improv, still have it be player-driven. Because the danger there is, what happens if the players just start declaring silly stuff? Because that's part of the game, is that, you know, it's like, okay, you roll, and this is what happens, and the players tell you what happens, and there's a lot of back-and-forth feedback, and then the players create the plot, and you just kind of make obstacles for them. And I'm like, well, I could make the setup serious. And so I started thinking about that, and then I thought about the ending. And I'm like, all right. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the beginning, and I'm going to make the very end. Now, you, Dan, had mentioned something about that in the previous episode, about, about yeah. doing that. But these are like the far bookends, right? I mean, the real far bookends of the game is this is the starting concept, and this is the ending that I want to see. And I want to work through that. And then here are a couple of characters scattered within the small town of Cattleskull. 
Now, okay, so that's kind of where I was where I was thinking about this. So on Con Planner, I put up the description of it, and all I said was something to the effect of you play a band of desperados who just robbed a bank. You just got your big score. And and you were being chased by the law, and you lost them, and now you're going to a town on the frontier to split up the take. Nothing could possibly go wrong, can it? And that's what I said. And then I was... There was one more line I noticed on there. There's one more line, and it was just sort of a throwaway line, and it was... Alternates will be seated, but they will not be part of the gang. That's it. And that was the whole description. So I was extremely disappointed when it came time to run the game. I didn't have any alternates, but I had a whole gang. I'm like, okay, well, that that's fine. And you'll find out here in a second why that was disappointing to me. I had two alternates sign up at the day of the con as write-ins. And so I had my whole gang there, and I had two alternates. One of my gang members could not make it. Ruben, which actually turned out really good anyway. Again, we'll get to that later. I tell my gang, I'm like, okay, guys, here's here's the concept. You robbed a bank. And uh, I didn't even have where they robbed the bank. It's like this is sort of pre-Civil War. Things are just starting to heat up. Your Western sort of thing. This is the cowboy Western type thing. It's really dark. I, and I, I told them, like, the feel I'm going for is really dark. But it's up to you guys. If you guys kind of go off the wall here and you guys do crazy stuff, that's fine. That's fine. That's just the direction the game will go. My intention is that it's dark. Also, this is going to be a weird West game. So that there is going to be a certain element of the supernatural, paranormal, and that sort of thing. You could even do paranormal stuff, but the weirder you go, so it's like, we'll we'll make a limiter on it. The weirder you go, when or if you fail, the more I will hurt you. And oh, by the way... Because this game is going to be a little on the dark side and it's not going to be slapstick, your failures, I am going to hurt you. I will maim your characters. I will hurt your character. That is on the table. So just so you guys know, and it's fine. I'm like, but we're in Missouri, we're in St. Louis, and you robbed a bank. And it's just before the Civil War, you have 500 Confederate dollars. And you ran for it, and I want you guys to make your characters... I want you to, because I'm so clever, by the way, I want you to tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly about your characters. And then I want you to do the stat. I want you to do the grit and the sly, and I told them what that was. And then I want you to make six squares on your character, because each of you have a pistol, and has six rounds in it. Actually, they don't have rounds. They're they're the old ball and cap, because this is like pre-Civil War. There's no bullets, right? There's no shells that you're loading in there. And so these are old cap and powder ones where it takes like... 15 minutes to load it and stuff. So in the middle of a fight, you know, you only got the six shots and then you're kind of done. And I know there's gun nuts out there who'll be like, well, then, you know, they had the Peacemaker 1847 that had this and that. I'm like, yeah, well, f*** you. So, (laughs) and I told my, I I want you to write the good, bad, and ugly about your character. I want you to tell me what your role in the gang is. Are you the front door man? Are you the safe man? Are you, you know, what do you do? And then they, they all came up. These two alternates do not have characters. I mean, they have character. They have characters, but they don't have character sheets. They don't have stats. They're never going to roll any dice. All right, because these two are your hostages. When you rob the bank, you split, and you took the hostages with you so you could escape the law. Now, I do have a question. Yeah. Already knowing where this is headed, mm-hmm. and I, but I think this is a question that's worth asking here, even before we get to that bit of information. Is what would you have done if they had either killed or ditched the hostages? So we talked about that. 
Okay. Because I was because that that's the whole thing is that they robbed a bank in St. Louis, but they went out west to the frontier, out to the desert. That's how far they had to run to sure. escape the law. Okay. And uh, one of the hostages was played by lime wielding ninja Jenny. Okay. She's female, and it's a western, right? So I said, uh, and that was the question. Well, why didn't we ditch the hostages? Like, well, if you ditch them in the middle of the desert, they're going to die. And if you kill the hostages, you know, it's one thing to be hot and heavy in the middle of the action, and you're shooting, and they're shooting, and and bullets land where they may but it's a totally different thing to kill a woman by shooting her in the back of the head in the desert and they're like yes it is and that's where we left it and so i took they're they're there discussing their they're good they're bad they're ugly that sort of thing and they're asking me well what does what does ugly mean well what, what are you trying to get here what, what does that mean i'm like okay well get ready to hear this sentence a lot in the next three hours you tell me <laughs> so they had to define all of that I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take the, uh, I'm going to take the two alternates and we're just going to go on the hall. I just got to have something to tell them. So I take them out in the hall and they're, they're, those guys are making the gang. They're coming up with a gang name. They're coming up with a good, they're bad and the ugly. They're coming up with all who they are and what they do. And they're all bad desperados, right? And so I pull the, uh, my two, uh, alternates out and I go, okay, so there was a bank robbery and you were in the bank and you were taken hostage and the bank robbery didn't go well and they lost and they were gunned down and they're dead. And you're dead too. And they, Jenny, like puts her hands over my like, oh my god. And I can just in. imagine the smile that would have come yep. on my face if I were an alternate, and the GM had told me that. And I tell them they don't know they're dead, and you cannot tell them they're dead. You can't tell them what happened, but you, your characters, you know, and you also know this town you're going to be in they're going to have temptation thrown at them. And in that temptation, they're either going to go for it or they're going to resist it. If they can resist temptation, they will have redeemed themselves and they will be able to move on. And you'll be able to move on. But if they don't, they're going to the other place. So you have a choice and it's your choice. Do you help them and try to guide them away from that temptation? Or do you let them fall to that temptation Burn in hell. Burn in hell because they're the ones who got you killed and you are innocent. And then we went into the room and then they're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to call the gang this and we're going to do this and yeehaw sort of thing. And I so I opened like They're rooting tooting. And... They're rooting tooting. They're some bad desperate. That's what the game should have been named. Rooting and tooting. Yeah, rooting and tooting. <laughs> That's right. So I open the game up. I describe what's going on. I describe, you know, it's like, okay, you robbed this bank in, in St. Louis and then you're going charging across Missouri and then Kansas and then you're, you know, going out to the desert. And each time you try and stop and lay low, the law is on you. And then finally, stop and i tried to bring a bit of metaphor into the game too and i said that you start going into the desert and you hire an indian scout and the indian scout will guide you to this town it's like one of this really far far frontier town in the middle of nowhere where you can actually rest and split up the money and plan your next move and the indian scout's guiding you and you got horses and stuff and then a sandstorm starts kicking up and this big huge sandstorm comes and you are in it for you don't know how long. You're in it for so long, you don't know if it's hours or days. God, it even feels like months or years go by. Your horses succumb and die. And the Indian scout leads you out of the sandstorm. And when the storm finally dies away, the Indian scout is gone. But in front of you is the town of Cattle Skull. And then I described the Cattle Skull. So what that was, that was Charon. 
And that was the the sandstorm was the river of the dead. And he guided them across it to Cattle Skull, which unbeknownst to them is essentially purgatory. So they go in the town. I could go on and on about like all the different little details and stuff and sure. all of, all the different things. There was basically the bad guy was called Mr. Grimm. And they didn't know who Mr. Grimm was. It's just that every time they encountered somebody, they're like, well, have you talked to Mr. Grimm yet? And then I slowly built that because it, it went from, have you talked to Mr. Grimm yet, to, well, Mr. Grimm is going to want to talk to you. Or then it advanced to, well, we can't mess with them. And Mr. Grimm said, don't mess with them yet. Sort of thing. And they're like, well, who the fuck is Grimm? I don't care. We got to divide up this loot. And then I introduced some of the weird stuff, too. Like, there was a blacksmith. The blacksmith was pounding you know, on his anvil and it was, he was kind of over there. Cause there was only, this was like a one horse town, right? I mean, it, it had nothing in it. And so some of them go over and they go to talk to the blacksmith. And when they, they ask, of course, the thing that I didn't think of was what is he working on? And I was about to say horseshoes. Oh, wait a minute. There's no fucking horses. Damn it. But he was pounding on the anvil. He's working on something. And when they look, he's not holding a hammer from his elbow down. His arm is missing. And it is replaced with an iron arm and an iron fist. And it isn't held on with straps or anything like that. It is just looks as if it is fused to his arm. And he's using this iron fist as a hammer. And he's hammering something out. That's metal. It yeah. is absolutely <laughs> metal. But uh, they asked me what he was doing. And I, and I quickly said it was uh, uh, fittings for barrels. The, the metal straps oh, yeah, for making yeah. barrels. Uh, I forget what that's called. It's a, is that a hooper that does that? I think so. Well, well, my intention... Cooper, Cooper, or something, whatever. Anyway, it's gone. For me, it was a nod to a movie, because he said that, well, we're making it for barrels, but we use the barrels as caskets, which is, I believe, Yojimbo. One of the characters in there is a coffin maker, yeah. but Japanese coffins are round like barrels. Well, yeah, because in a lot of Buddhist cultures, they the person is sitting up. Right. And a lot of samurai movies like Yojimbo and such, are made into westerns. So that was my amusement for myself there when I said that. So anyway, they go into this bar, and there's another character. There's a prostitute who's working in there, and a bartender, and then there's a gang of, like, sort of the local gang who is uh, kind of menacing them and missing this other people. And so the situation that is kind of floating around is that the prostitute has a little girl. And... There's a gang there, and the gang is all dressed alike, and they're kind of, quote, running the town, and ostensibly, they are Grimm's gang, but they don't know who Grimm is. There's also an old guy at the end of the bar who is passed out drunk. So they go upstairs, and they start talking about the loot and splitting it up. Everybody they talk to, almost, almost everybody they talk to, because, uh, I'm sorry, I have to back up a second. There's train tracks at the end of the town. There's train tracks running east to west. And there's like a station agent there. And the station agent's booth is all locked up. And every time they talk to somebody, they ask like, well, when's the train coming in? And the NPCs will sit there, most of them will, and they'll say, well, it's coming any time. Can't you hear that train coming? And, uh, which is a gospel song, by the way. It's a gospel song. And uh, they don't hear the train. And more and more as the game goes on, more and more people within the town will say something like, I can hear that train. That train's coming. And they kind of cock their head. In mid-sentence, they'll be talking to them, and suddenly the NPC will stop and cock their head and say, 
Can't you hear that train coming? Their two hostages can also hear the train coming. Because that's the thing. If you know you're dead, you can hear the train. Because the train is coming and it takes you on to the afterlife. They can't hear it. They don't know they're dead. So the real story is not the Desperados and their money. The real story that's going on is the blacksmith sold a piece of himself, his arm, to Mr. Grimm for some deal of some sort. And he knows he's dead. But Mr. Grimm is keeping him in town. The blacksmith's wife is the prostitute. And they find the, the hostages find out later on talking to her that she sold something of herself to Mr. Grimm. That's keeping her in town because she has a hole in her chest where her heart is, except she doesn't have a heart there. Oh, that's a turnoff. <laughs> the little girl is their daughter, and she hasn't sold anything. The wife, the prostitute, doesn't know she's dead, and the little girl communicates that. The little girl knows she's dead, knows that they're all dead. Does the wife acknowledge the hole in her? No. Doesn't realize it's there? Doesn't realize it's there. Doesn't understand it's there. Doesn't understand what's going on. So as long as you see what you want to see, sort of things that... Kind of. So the character of the bartender is a guy who has one of those Cheshire cat grins. You know, he smiles and he's all smooth and slick. What can I do for you, boys? I see you're new in town. Maybe you'd like a drink or... Maybe you'd like a little turn with the lady upstairs. And he had every single one of his teeth was gold. And he was always smiling. And he was always laid back. And he never told anyone what to do. But he was always there and waiting. And it took most of the game before somebody actually talked to him and asked him, Who the hell is Mr. Grimm? Because the, the Desperados keep trying to take us to Mr. Grimm, and everybody else talks about Mr. Grimm, and everybody's afraid of Mr. Grimm. Who the hell's Mr. Grimm? And he's like, well, that would be me. And he was there for all of these conversations. He just never said anything. So as the game goes on, there is an amazing scene in the room that they rented upstairs where one of the players got into a poker game and lost $100 that he didn't have. So that had to come out of the stake. And before he told anybody, he went upstairs, made a bunch of rolls, and stole $30. Now remember, this is a $500 stack here. This is not an insignificant amount of money. So he tells everybody that, you know, hey, I need 100 bucks because I just lost this. And then they decide to have the conversation about how they're going to split up the money. So they have this conversation, right? And it's super tense, and I am not part of it at all. The alternates are going around and they're kind of talking to people, and then they talk to the little girl, and then they find out that the little girl hears the train, and that her father, the blacksmith, hears the train, but mama doesn't hear the train. And they figure out, we've got to get on the train. One of the gang members makes this roll, and when you roll the number that you have circled, that you picked for your attribute, in Lasers and Feelings, it's called Laser Feelings. Yeah. In my game, it's called, because I'm very clever, called True West. And <laughs> you're allowed to ask the game master one question that I have to answer completely honestly. Nobody knew that they were dead. Nobody had figured out that something weird was going on. This guy, I pull, he, he's like, okay, I have a question. Okay, let's go out into the hall. Because I'm afraid that that's going to be the, the, the question. question. The question, Are right? we dead? <laughs> Holy crap, it was his first question. He got it immediately. He's like, are... Are, are we dead? And I lift my hands up. I take a deep breath. Like I'm going to make this gigantic explanation. I just say, 
Yes. And then I turn around and walk away. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, okay. His character totally changes. He does not care about the money anymore. And it's like, he grabs a bottle. Let me point some things out And he starts hearing the train. Let me point some things out here. Some observations. All right. So the game people signed up to play. Right. Was a Wild West game Mm -hmm. about a bunch of bank robbers. Right. Red Dead. Okay, mm-hmm. that th- this is the kind of game they've signed up. The James Gang it came mm-hmm. immediately to mind because they actually did operate out of yeah. St. Louis. Little tidbit about his life when uh, Jesse James was killed. There was a lot of consternation about whether to pay out the reward money or not because there was there were some other things going on. It's kind of a complex situation, but simply because the guy that turned on him from his own gang shot him in the back and killed him in a dishonorable way. So you're talking about the difficulty of, well, if you've got a hostage out in the desert, what do you do with them? You know, it was a very different mindset back then. And anyway, they signed on to play that kind of game. Mm -hmm. A Billy the Kid, Jesse James, you know, that kind of game. When they start the game, certainly it has a feel of high adventure, Mm -hmm. a certain amount of comedy, a grit, but not a grit the way you... It was actually panning out, not right. dark spiritual grit, mm-hmm. but just grit more as in you don't know who's going to draw on you. And your mind is very, your your mind is here. It's a magic trick, right? Yeah. You've got them looking at the wrong thing. You've got them yep. watching the right there hand. There are two parties playing two different games. Yeah. One game's the real game. One game isn't. Okay. I'm going to get a little bit ahead here. When we get mm-hmm. to the end, these people, at least to the best of my knowledge, I'm not going to speak on anyone's behalf, but to the best of my knowledge, really liked this game even though it is one not necessarily the game they thought Mm -hmm. they were signing up for and two was certainly not the game through most of it they thought they were playing that's correct well and you and i were in a game like that once dan if you remember back to adam gottfried running chad's uh which one was that Dread, one? The, uh, no, it's it uh, the dread-based one. Yeah, it's it's uh, the one about lucid. The, no, not lucid. Silent, Silent memories. Silent yeah. memories. Because I ran that version of Silent memories for Chad and the group later, and that was the same thing. Of we went into a Western game, ex- thinking it was a Western game, and there was something else mm-hmm. very different. So I'm not going to give it away because yeah. well, that I can the, still be run. Well, mm-hmm. we did though at least know because it was in the description that because it was based on Silent memories. We knew that what we saw wasn't real, but we just didn't know what the truth right. was. There was right. going to be a give of there some sort. There was going we to be that. a give, but we didn't know what it was. And actually, even Adam didn't know what it was. He had about half a dozen different ones or something. He had three. Three, okay. I knew yeah. he had several. And drew from them at the end, or as we got farther along, one of the draws for clues that you got along the way was going to decide which one this was. Yeah, the first person that break, that knocks the tower down gets the big reveal of right, what is yeah. really going but, on. But the point here being, I think this is a spot where we need to kind of re-examine what we mean by the phrase, you know, giving people an experience when they play a role-playing game. But when people mm-hmm. sign up to play a role-playing game, it is possible they're signing up to play a particular kind of game. Right. I think especially if this had been a long campaign, people probably would have been a little more disappointed to find out that this is not the game they thought they were buying into. If we we got a skies of glass game coming up here in two days. And if in two days, suddenly one of you guys finds a magic scroll, it turns (laughs) out that you're, you're caught in an illusion. And I would give you, I trust you. I love you. 
I would give you one game to make this work. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I would give you one game because I trust and love yeah. you. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm saying is, is there is something to be said for giving people the experience they think they're after in a very, very literal sense. Well, and in fairness, but, in this case, I think they got that experience for the first hour or so. Mm-hmm. Well, they were the root and tootin' bandits because they didn't yeah, know. Absolutely. But on top of that, I think it is very true at a con, especially a con like Fear the Con, where not all, but many of the people that show up listen to the podcast. They know what we're about. Right. They're probably into similar things by virtue of listening to the podcast. And they are there for an experience of story that doesn't necessarily have to be exactly what they signed up for. Every time as I run a game, as it's good. Every time I run a game of Fear the Con, ninety percent of the people say I want to experience a chat, a quote unquote Chad game, whatever the hell that means. Well, and I think this is what it means, <laughs> right? I mean, on the flip side, if I wrote down I'm running a Transformers game, and they find out it's a morality through, play, it's a morality <laughs> yeah. play, and in fact they aren't Transformers; they just think they are because they're having delusions of their childhood cartoons, right. to decide their souls. I think a lot of people would be pretty disappointed. Yeah, and so I do think this is you got to know yeah. how to do this. But it is interesting how you. I mean, as like I said, I think the mm-hmm. best metaphor I've got is a magic trick of you have them watching one hand while the other hand mm-hmm. is actually moving the cards around. Right. So that's the big difference here, and that's something I I haven't experienced in a game, of you had your core players that didn't know the give, mm-hmm. but you had two people that did. Right. And that's one I've never experienced in a game before. You as a GM had two players at the table that were, they're not co-GMs, mm-hmm. but they're kind of like agents. Right. Helping to create the story because well, they're in on it. Agents, but I didn't know which way they go. Sure. They went the, we are going to try to save as many people as we can. They could have gone the, you made my children orphans and got me killed over $500. I am going to ensure you go to hell where you and, belong. Well, and either way they go. And they didn't know. They said that they were telling me, it's like, they didn't know which way they were going. Because I didn't tell them what characters they were playing. <laughs> they were judging. They were. Yeah. They that were. was my intention is they, those two, were going to be the final judges of the gang. That gang's fate was in their hands. They were judging their murderers. So there were two games going on here. One game is you are a hard desperado. This is the real West here. You got your six gun. You've got your cowboy hat. You are just one mean son of a bitch. And these guys were mean sons of bitches, right? They were criminals. They weren't like wrong place, wrong time. No. So they're in a town. They got to split up this loot. There is danger from within. There's danger from without because there's another gang there. There's another guy named Mr. Grimm. And then we don't know who he is. And obviously he's working some sort of angle. And somebody stole our money. And we're pretty sure it was someone in the gang that stole the money. We got to split this up. All of a sudden, one of our gang members is acting really weird. Slowly, our hostages, whom we have power over, because they role-played out several scenes where they were interacting with the hostages, they were not role-playing Stockholm Syndrome. In fact, they didn't even know one of the hostages' names. They were willing to kill him if he got out of line. 
And the, the hostages started regarding them differently slowly through the course of the game because they figured out that one of the gang members found out that they're dead. And so they started interacting with them and talking with them. And it was like, you know, desperation. You know, you know, you have to make this choice. You have to help us get the others to realize so that they can make this choice. You, we, you have, you have to do this. And the guy was like, I don't understand. All I know is I've got a bottle of whiskey and I hear a train coming. And slowly throughout the game, each of the characters realized in different ways that they were dead. Mr. Grimm, the gold tooth devil, was able to tempt one of the players because one of the players, Jason Brick, awesome role player, by the way, was playing the heavy, the big, dumb slab of meat. And he was able to say, okay, I'll put a big old stack of money on the ground, on the table here, if you just do what I say. Okay, that's <laughs> why I'm here. You know, he basically sold his soul to the devil. Scott Bonner was playing the safe cracker, who was missing a couple of fingers because he blew him off. He blew up safes. And uh, he didn't want to realize he was dead. He didn't want to accept that. And then as the weird stuff went on, the other guy who figured out he was dead, along with the alternates, the hostages, finally was able to convince him. And he did not want to accept it. He did not want to accept it. And finally, he accepted it and he ran off into the desert and he had to like cry and come to terms with the fact that he was dead. And then the last player, Church, he did not accept that he was dead on an intellectual level. He accepted it on an emotional level because he only accepted it when things start getting really, really weird. After his fellow gang member sold his soul to the devil, the devil changed him, made him bigger, made fire come out of his eyes. He had this uh, axe handle. That was his weapon. He didn't he didn't shoot anybody. He had an axe handle they beat up people with. And the axe handle was like glowing with embers and smoking. And he became taller and bigger and stuff. And uh, only when the weird really started happening, Churcher's character, who was greedy and he was a liar. And by the way, he's the one who stole the money and he's the one who incurred the gambling debt. And he was all about, you know, looking good and acting good and having money and stuff. He at the end, he's just like, you know, I don't care. They're telling him it's like your debt. I don't care. I don't care. What do I need to do? What do I need to do not to, you know, have these horrible things happen to me? And he he reached into his coat. And he took the money, which is the most important thing to his character, and just threw it. And was like, I just don't care. I'm not going down that road. And that's how he redeemed himself. He accepted emotionally that he was dead. And he got rid of the most important thing to him, which was the money he stole. Might have been out of fear, but he did it honestly. And that's how he accepted it. Jason Brick's character is the one who sold his soul to the devil. Because the whole plot. Now, this here's the real plot. The real game is not the one that the Desperados are playing. It's the one the alternates are playing. Because the real game is that the blacksmith and his wife Lola and their daughter, Mr. Grimm, is waiting. Because the daughter isn't old enough to make a decision for herself. And she just became that old. And he ordered his gang to bring the daughter to it. So that he can make an offer to her to tempt her to get her soul. And the gang members kind of stop and defuse that situation, but 
but they don't know why. They just they to them it's just a little girl. You know, the gang member is bullying a little girl and take her and like, oh, they're gonna do something horrible to her, and we're not gonna let that happen because while we may be scum, we're not dogs. Yeah. And that's when Grimm is able to tempt Jason's character. He tries to tempt Scott's character, and Scott's character had realized he was dead and realized what was going on and wanted no part of it. And there's this great scene where Grimm, with his golden teeth and his slick, oily smile, was like, why don't you have a seat and have a drink with me, and we'll discuss business. And Scott's like, no, man, I'm not doing that. And he starts walking away, and Grimm slams the table and slams the shot glass, and Scott appears in the chair in front of him. It's like, no, we're going to talk some business. Let me pour you a drink. And Scott gets up and says, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And he's in the chair again. I don't think you understand. We're going to talk some business here, boy. And then that's when Jason's character comes in and says, business, I love me some business. And he's like, well, here's a man I can talk to. And he just starts taking bills out. How much do I got to pay you to work for me? How much you got? And, just, <laughs> and he pays him like $500 for a soul. And he said, okay, I want you to get me that little girl. So at this point, all of the players have realized they're dead, except Jason's character, who is too dumb to realize that anything is going on. Weird. Grimm wants the daughter. At this point, this is when the players have a realization. The demon-possessed, crazy Jason Brooks character is going after the daughter, and the alternates have figured out that the drunk at the end of the bar, who they've generally been ignoring, is the town sheriff the representative of good in the town that no one believes in or has any faith in. And they have to get the sheriff to stop Mr. Grimm because nobody can stop Mr. Grimm except the sheriff. The players, these hard-ass desperado that the entire game is about and the world revolves around them, they have to stall the devil long enough so that the hostages can get the sheriff awake and sober and out of town to save them. And that's when Church says, Oh my God, I'm not the main character. I'm like an NPC. <laughs> this is this is the story of, of the two hostages. That's the real story. And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> and they have this amazing... Going back to talking about not quite knowing what you're signing up for. The, 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 I mean, everybody, I think, got a good experience out of Absolutely. this. But in a funny sort of way, the alternates were the seated and the seated were the alternates. Absolutely. Which, once again, it, I mean careful doing this kind of thing at a con because <laughs> if you don't do it well my name you could be fucking somebody out of a four-hour slot my name is chad and people sign up for my games for this i think yeah i hope but you know, be careful doing this at a con because I, I think that's really the only or the con or a one shot is really probably yeah. the place this works best but man, be careful and do this right. Otherwise, you can leave a lot of people feeling really cheated. Absolutely. But that's why people sign up for uh, these weird experimental games mm-hmm. that is to get this kind of stuff. So in the end, Chad, if you- I came to a con and sat down and you were running a game and it went exactly as I anticipated, <laughs> I would leave really disappointed. God, thank you. But do you uh, want do you want to know what happened? Well, I already know what happened. So well, do <laughs> you? Well, yeah, you do, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> this- but they don't. No. Okay. So go ahead. So let's let's. Yeah. We, okay. So needs an ending. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is they're basically fighting this demon possessed former comrade, 
He's taller, he's bigger, he's stronger. He's got this burning axe handle. His eyes are glowing with fire. And they can't hurt him. They can't stop him. They know the best they can do is stall him. And the train, which has been a theme through the whole game, they can all hear now. They all know it's there. And it is rolling into the station. And they have one goal. And this is how they redeem themselves. They're not trying to get on the train they are trying to stall this demon long enough so that the girl can get on the train. And that's it. They have no regard for themselves at this point. And they throw themselves at it in ways that are like really in line with their characters and their personalities and, and how they do stuff. And it, it was just amazing. I mean, it's just like blasting him and doing stuff and running away. And then like I told Jason, because there's no rules for any of this. I told Jason, they're going to roll against you. You're not going to roll against them because now you're a bad guy, badder guy. Every success they get on you is a success. We're going to describe those successes. Every failure they get, you describe how you hurt them. And he was great. He was, it was very, it wasn't like torturous or anything. It was just like, re, it was like a real action scene. Like one of them grabbed the girl and was running away and made this set. Didn't even fight. It was just, I am just run for the train. And, he gets like one success, which is a crappy success and all failures for the rest. And Jason's like, I just turn around and I just wing that ax handle. at him. I just throw it at him, but I throw it at his legs. And we're like, Ooh, that hurts. And, and he described how he like fell and tumbled over, but he grabbed the girl and he took the impact just to protect, you know, how you can protect, uh, you know, something small in your arms. And then the girl was like, Mr. Mr. We got to go. The train's here. The train is here. And he's just like, no, go run, run. And the real characters, the main characters went into the, the bar, the saloon to get the sheriff. And that's where Mr. Grimm was. And Mr. Grimm is like getting angry because he's, they're not listening to him and they're helping the sheriff. And he's like making offers and he's offering them money he's offering them power he's offering immortality he's offering the world he's offering them the universe and they just ignore him and he's flying into a rage and as he flies into a rage he grows and changes into this monster that he is and then he orders his man his guy his one guy that is his agent that will do whatever he tells him and he's in such a rage and he says i want the girl's head Bring me her head. And then he stops. Jason stops because he's winning. He's just kicking. He's just unstoppable. He's this unstoppable murder machine. And he stops and he looks at the devil and he goes, well, I'm sorry that that was not part of the arrangement. And he's like, you defy me. Bring me the girl's head. Well, no, no. You, you told me bring you the girl alive and unharmed. I want her dead. I want all of them dead. That's not part of our deal. And I had to look at Jason and I'm like, Jason, are you defying the devil? And he's like, he had, he thought about it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I think I am. And that's when he redeemed himself. And he's like, he changed back into his normal form. And for the first time he could hear the train pulling up to the station. And then as the NPCs or I'm sorry, as the main characters, the hostages, Jenny and Christian got the sheriff to the street, Every step they took, the sheriff got stronger and sober and the town started coming out of the houses and they started seeing that, that they started having hope and that hope made the sheriff whole again. The sheriff said, 
stop right there, you devil. And the devil turned around. The sheriff pulled his guns, shot the devil. Devil fell over. And then when they turned around, they saw the entire town was there and the entire town was getting on the train. And they all had two coins over their eyes as they boarded the train. But whole. as whole. <laughs> the game ends, I had one player who couldn't make it. Ruben. Okay. He was too tired, too drunk, too whatever. So when they made their gang, they said, uh, they called it Ruben's gang. <laughs> Ruben's gang. <laughs> Ruben, they said, well, Ruben was the leader of the gang and he got gunned down in Missouri. And I'm like, well, let me, let me alter that just a little bit. They said, uh, you believe he was killed. He was the one that actually lived. He was the one that actually lived. Yeah, he's not there because he survived. <laughs> when the train pulled up and the doors opened, Ruben stepped off the train. <laughs> his head to the side as if he had been hung and he walks past him as if he doesn't see anyone and everyone gets on the train and they hear him walk into the tavern and they hear Mr. Grimm say, well, howdy there stranger. You must be new in town. <laughs> and then that's where the game ended. You know, all right. So I think the story speaks for itself. So I don't have a whole lot to add to that, but as a bit of a jamming technique, I pulled out of there. There is, Something that we've we've talked about on the show and I think is good for storytelling in general, which is if you want something compelling, it needs two things, significance and urgency. And urgency is sometimes hard to create in a role-playing game because of the fact that I think the default state a lot of people run games in is they don't control pacing in the moment. They might control pacing of the story overall, but people have an inordinate amount of time to think to plan to contemplate to whatever it is they're going to do or because of the fact that they don't feel like they're under any pressure they care about what they're trying to do but chasing it instead of upping the emotional ante actually drains it because it just feels very wearisome it's always one foot out of reach it's just mm -hmm. beyond your fingertips but it's never this sense that, that the time matters. And so each failure is really no different than the one before. It's just more annoying. <laughs> but what you created, obviously, okay, we'll, we'll say it's significant. They care about their own souls. They care about this little girl. Obviously, there's a lot there to care about. Someone's eternal destiny, regardless of your worldview, if we presuppose something such as eternal destiny is a thing mm -hmm. and it's being decided and cow skull or whatever you call this thing cattle skull. cattle skull because there was a dead tree in the middle of the town that had a cow had died on it and as the tree grew up it carried the cattle skull up with it hmm. and then the tree died so there's this dead bleached tree with a an old bleached cattle skull grown into it okay so cattle skull i, I think it's people can relate to that right mm -hmm. you know they, they get the significance of that but you added in a sense of urgency with the train the coming. train motif, yeah. So you have a train, but it's, the, it's but, getting closer and closer. And you as a GM can describe how close it is. It's a mile away. It's a half yeah. mile away. It's pulling up at the station. It has stopped. They're doing the last call for boarding. I wasn't mm -hmm. there. I don't know what you did, but right. things like that. With Dread, you have the tower mm -hmm. that as you pull out the Jenga pieces, it's getting more and more wobbly. In some of my games, I've just done the countdown. You know, right. look. What are you doing? Ten, well, nine, eight, yep. seven. You know what? First the, version of Silent Memories, Chad would set a stop 
a, a timer, timer on there. Yep. Where everyone it sees it. it. Says four hours, you're going to die. Figure it out. Yeah. I mean, and uh, the more you want to dick around, that's your problem. I'm not a big fan of chess, but speed chess. Speed chess. Yeah. yeah where you, the way speed chess is played, for one who's not seen, is there's usually a clock in the middle or two clocks that are attached to each other, and only one side or the other can be depressed. So when I'm taking my turn, the other side, the guy or mm-hmm. gal I'm playing against, hits their button, which starts my timer counting down. Right. And when I finish my turn, I hit my button to stop my clock and start theirs. And when that clock hits zero, if you haven't won the game of chess, you just default to losing the game of chess. So the really cool thing about the train motif was, for one, it was very in theme, you know, trains in the West and that sort of thing. Sure. The train tracks ran from east to west. East is where they had come from their life, and west is where they were going, which was their afterlife. So it was very metaphoric. Did that tension timer. It was it was getting closer, it was getting closer, but it was also part of the mystery because all these people, as far as the Desperados were concerned, all these crazy people were talking about this train that was coming, and they never heard any kind of train. Additionally, it was given significance because... The alternates could hear it, knew what it was. I had instructed them not to tell them that they were dead. And so whenever the train was mentioned by an NPC, their faces and their body language visibly changed. Because it's it's as if I show Wayne a timer and he's like, well, that timer's really weird. And there's a box in front of it, but the box doesn't have a back because Wayne is sitting across from Dan. And Dan sees dynamite. And he knows there's a timer. And Wayne's like, this thing keeps counting down. 10, 9, 8. Well, Wayne's like, this is really weird. Dan's like freaking out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a real... It, I, I had, it's not a mechanic. It was just a yeah. storytelling tool. I, well, I, and I, did, I did something similar in the Skies of Glass game in the prior leg of the campaign when you, Chad, were trying to defuse the bomb beneath the arch grounds. Yeah. Where each time you declared an action... I mean, I had, I think it was five minutes on the timer, right. three minutes or whatever it was. And each time you took an action, I'd be like, okay, that's going to take about 15 seconds. You know, you've got this much time mm-hmm. left, this much time left, this much time left. And if it had hit zero, it was going to detonate. You were yep. going to die. You know, that created that sense of urgency, even without a literal timer. I wasn't mm-hmm. actually, I right. didn't put a stopwatch out and start counting down from five minutes, but it was still a calculated urgency that still created that emotional sense. And so now I'm not suggesting that the best game mastering technique Hmm. is to put a timer on everything that occurs. That is wearisome. People don't want to have to walk out of your game every single time and go hit up Walgreens for Pepto and Xanax. (laughs) But I am saying, though, when you're really trying to bring it all together, having something important is half of the picture. I think having something important that has a sense of finiteness, Mm -hmm. that has a sense that the door is closing. Think of all the movies you've seen where they stop the timer three seconds or one second. I mean, yes, it's a tired trope, but there's a reason people keep coming back to it, and that's because it does work. So, Chad, I wasn't there. I don't know. It sounds like a great game to me. I, I have to say that all I had was an idea to start and a very definite ending and a couple of characters in between. And I told them that when we started, I'm like, this might not go well, guys, because this is literally all I have. (laughs) So (laughs) you guys, I didn't say you guys are going to have to bring it. I I said, you know, this is going to be an improv narrative game. So 
there's going to have to be a lot from you guys. Yeah, I would probably reply with, that's more than you usually have. I know, right? I even had names, too, yeah, written down. for a COD game? Yeah. That's way more than you go in with. I know. Like slab squat thrust. Right. <laughs> you know, people asked me, because there were people who were talking about it, and there were people coming out, hey, man, I heard you ran this great cowboy game, and everyone's talking about it. Man, are you going to run that next year? And I look at them like, I don't know if I can, because... So much of what that game was, was part of it was, yes, the, the, the surprise, the mystery, yeah. you know, the, not just, oh, they're dead, but it, it was partially that, but it is the fact that there are two games going on and one game thinks it's really important. One game is just like, whatever. And then there is that magical flip that I can't make happen. It just happens where suddenly the super important, awesome bandito game is really just some bullshit. (laughs) And it's all about these other two characters who just happened to show up and didn't sign up in time. Right. (laughs) But the game's all about them. And I don't know if I can make that happen again. Yeah. And the real thing though, was the players, Jason Brick, Scott Bonner, Christian, Jenny church, Matt or Mark uh, started with an M. I'm sorry. I didn't really get a chance to talk to you. You were awesome, by the way. And he's the guy who figured it out first. first. And he did not just run in the room. Go guys, we're dead. We're dead. I mean, he laid it on thick. It was amazing role playing. Here's a question for you, Chad. Yeah. You've had this experience of this game now. Mm -hmm. Would you even want to run it again? I don't know. I know Dan is the type of person he likes when he runs a campaign, likes to run that again. Mm-hmm. I've talked about that at a con running the same game in multiple slots, you know, different people interact. You've always said, I don't want to go back and redo it. I did it. It's done. I want to do something new. Yeah. So that's, I don't see you as wanting to run it again. For me, it, it wouldn't be a matter of, I want to run something new in this case. That That is correct. It's those players were amazing. I had nothing. I just had a couple of ideas sprinkled with a character or two. It was them that made the game. It was the honest reactions. It was the slow unfolding of the mystery. Sure. It was their realization and their reactions to it. Their story was the redemption of their characters. And it was a nail biter to the end. I thought we were going to lose one. And we didn't. And they got them and the whole town. They defeated the devil and they redeemed their souls and they moved on. Yeah. And that was them. All I did was say, you tell me, <laughs> you know, and I was the old GM. You owe Broder a nickel for that, by the way. I'm sure I do. <laughs> stealing his you tell me system. I'm sure I do. But it was entirely on the phone. Not to say that we can't have amazing players other than those guys. Those are power players. Yeah, but you've had that experience yeah. now. I think that I would mess it up because I'd be too busy trying to recreate. As opposed to telling a new story. Yeah. It has to be told anew. And I would really, I could, no, I don't know if I could run this again. It it would have to be told anew. Yeah. Yep. As I'm thinking about, I remember one of my greatest con moments in gaming. You mentioned Churcher. Mm -hmm. It was with him. It was at Fear the Con 3 in a, uh, dread game Mm -hmm. where the two of us just had this incredible role-playing moment and when i think back i don't that can't be recreated right that was an awesome moment where two players and two characters just gelled in that scene and i wouldn't want to try to replay that story or i wouldn't want to try to run that story 
because you can't recreate that moment. Create new moments. When you try to recreate something, you fail. I mean, I I don't want to give some big philosophical defense of this, but when you try and recreate something, you fail because you're you've already it's already been yep. made. You're making a copy of something. And in this game, I can't recreate them and their react. I mean, so one of the things I didn't even talk about was there was a scene where they're dividing up the money. And I'm like, there's either going to be a shootout or they're just going to say even, 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 even done. They start talking about it deep in character role playing jokes and, you know, in character stuff is really awesome. And I take my I take Jenny and Christian, my the, the hostages, the, you know, the unimportant side characters who signed up too late. And I I pull them aside and, and because they are interacting with the little girl and they are learning that the little girl's mother doesn't realize she's dead and why that's important and why Grimm is after her and the little girl is why she's the main character of the whole story and all that sort of stuff. Ginny, her character is a hat maker. She gets in with the little girl because she finds a bunch of straw and makes a hat for her. This is a game about desperados killing people. And she advances the plot further by making a hat for a little girl. And it was amazing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm role playing with them and then we finish and then I turn my attention back to my desperados who were awesome. And I can't say anything because for like a half an hour, these rootin' tootin' hard asses are arguing over who gets the bigger cut and why. And I'm just sitting there like, wow, this is really cool. Wow, this is really cool. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, neat. All of a sudden, one of them pulls guns. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> they're going to kill each other, but they're already dead. Oh, crap. <laughs> and it, And so, yeah, guns are drawn and they have a Mexican standoff. One guy pulls both of his guns because he stole a six year from another guy. And then Scotty pulls his gun and Jason pulls his gun and Churcher is like, holy sh! And he's telling me, Chad, I want to make a roll to kind of ghost over by a window so nobody sees me. If shooting starts, I jump out the window. I'm like, okay. And yeah, and we're like very, very sort of okay. Who's going to shoot first? I think, Chad, there may be a future episode in that, a debate on exactly how much of a game can be recreated on a new mm -hmm. pass because i don't take the view that all of it can be that you right. can all i you cannot photocopy an experience yeah. and transplant no. i don't believe that the experience can't be recreated but sometimes it's worth it to yeah. see how different people yeah. go through this but same i but i do events. seem to fall farther to that side yeah than say you or john do no and, where and, yeah and your recreations of games are great i don't think that i can recreate this because to be honest with you, there's no game. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a a bare start, it's, a couple of characters, and a solid and end. A whole lot of reaction, and a whole lot of reaction. Yeah, yeah, cool. Alrighty. Well, if you want to play games like this, come to Fear the Con 12. That's coming up. I, I mean, it's going to be a year away, but hey, it is coming up. And other than that, as always, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you guys next time. How is it, Chad? Unless game? we're all dead. <laughs> This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2018. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. 
You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.